This is Geek Gab with your host, Dordal and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday, March 12th, 2022. I'm just trying to think if there's anything big or new or exciting going on that we should talk about, and I can't think of a single darn thing there's a new man i just found out this week that there was like several movies that should have been big and new and exciting that just slipped right past i mean they'd come they went into theaters and they were gone and they disappeared with hardly a blip um, i blinked and i missed them and nobody's talking about them anymore like big movies that would normally be like landmark events that were so crappy and so modern that nobody talks about them. Like there was a new James Bond. Do you even remember that? Oh, thank you for reminding me. You know, I've only seen one James Bond film and I regretted it. Really? Which one did you <laughs> see? Skyfall. I've never been a James Bond guy. The whole phenomenon missed me. Just passed you me by. Didn't like Skyfall? It was not good. <laughs> That's not where you start. <laughs> it, uh, what can I say? It, uh, they had the the whole point of the movie was the action set piece at the end at the old manor, and none of the rest of the movie made sense. None of the villains made sense. The only thing that mattered was okay. Um, thank you for sitting through this. We're here. We're at the big set piece. Please enjoy this scene to finish the movie. I hope you enjoyed it. And I kind of did. See, I thought Skyfall was one of the best of the uh, Daniel Craig Bonds. Uh, but anyways, the what is it? No Time to Die? I can't yeah, no, no Spy for Tomorrow, something like that, yeah. Yeah, it, it came and it went and it's gone. And, and like, they've got a new Batman. And, and, and to be fair, a lot of people are posting on my timeline that it's a really good movie. I haven't seen it. Uh, we've had so many guests that I, you know, I haven't had to review anything, so I haven't gone and seen it. But I'm not real interested in seeing it. I just, no, there's nothing. There's nothing but garbage coming on onto the TV. Maybe we're just getting old. I can't even <laughs> remember all the movies that I was going to mention that people forgot. Is that like a meta thing? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, Not being I, able to remember the movies that we forgot—that's totally like meta, right? I'm uh -huh. using that word right. I, I I believe so. I think Zuckerberg I've, owns it now, though, right? Or at least he <laughs> says he does. Uh, we, in fact, I just got an email. We've got to pay the royalties on it as soon as the show's over. That's that's what they're using the the, the deep AI technology for the language processing and the AI. They're just trolling live streams in real time for uh, copyright violations, uh, so that they can sue for licensing fees and. And whatnot. Never mind that they don't actually own it yet, but they say well, they do. Yeah. The new... how, 
how do they how do you make a company how do you make you know a company name or a product name out of something that was sort of in the vernacular what is it 15 years ago i mean meta's not that young not as young as the people of reddit would you have you believe uh, the new, they just uh, have lawyers <laughs> the lawyers. new pixar movie the groomer Pixar movie is in the theaters, so that's you know awesome. Uh, I've been hanging around with the wrong people on the internet, so that term's entered into my vocabulary now. That's just great. Really, the what what term? Groomer, like Hans Gruber, played by Alan no, Rickman. Not Gruber, Groomer with an that's, M. It sounds like Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber. All right, so tell me about the Gruber. What's the uh, what's the significance there? It, it's I, red, the Pixar movie. It sexualizes children. Groomer. Oh, As in, an adult I don't, who that, grooms that, children. Good I don't know. grief. I don't know what you're talking about, Daddy Warpig. That <laughs> was not in Die Hard at all. I don't remember that part. That is true. It wasn't in Die Hard. Because Die Hard is a good movie. What's the connection with Hans Gruber? I'm still not getting the connection. Have we worn out the shtick yet? Um, I'm trying to see. See, your problem is is I'm holding this discussion with one half of my brain, and I'm still being you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually looking at Rotten Tomatoes to find a couple of other movies that, like, I remember thinking hey that came and went and that should have been like a thing like if they had made it 20 years ago and done a good job that would have been a huge thing people would be talking about that and loving that forever i mean people are making fun of bruce willis because speaking of die hard they're making fun of bruce willis because they're remaking firestarter why oh Uh, because all Bruce Willis has made for like the last three or four years are these so utterly terrible movies, just absolutely horrifically bad movies. They're not even straight to video. They're straight to streaming. They just exist to buff up the movie list on streaming to make it look like streaming services have more movies than they actually really do. Um, and he gets paid like $2 million a piece for these movies and they're terrible and they're making fun of him because that's all he's doing is these really, really crappy movies. And my comment on this is yes, Bruce Millis is making these really, really crappy movies that will be absolutely forgotten even as they're being released into theaters. But let me ask you a question. How is that any different from the new James Bond? You got me. Seriously. One's a franchise. (laughs) How is that any different from all of these movies that we have already forgotten? They're crappy. They're terrible. They already forgotten as soon as they get into the theaters. It's no different. He's just, you know, 
showing up for literally like two days of shooting and he's out and then they shoot the rest of the movie around him. He's not even there to interact with the other actors. They use body doubles and shoot from behind when the other actors are present. He's just there and they shoot his parts all by himself. That's a great way to save money. It's kind of sad. It, it is sad, but it's sad for everybody because all of these people are making just the worst movies ever and they're all crap all of them are crap and i hate the very thought of jackass i've never seen a jackass movie but there's a new jackass movie coming out uh or just came out right wait really yeah jackass forever february 4th it came out um, although apparently they haven't updated their website on Rotten Tomatoes because it says in theaters February 4th. No, it's, it's, it's out. Um, but I guarantee you there is more fun, more joy, more creative impulse that went into Jackass than is going into any of these other, you know, modern movies. And you're just looking at this, this stuff that they made, and and you, at least I am. Maybe this is just me. Maybe everyone else is. You know, like no, dude, I saw these movies. They're great. What's your problem, man? You're just grumpy. <laughs> I'm like, no, serious. This stuff is. It came and it went, and and I'm just. I'm baffled, absolutely baffled. Uh, have you guys ever seen, uh, oh, what was that movie with, uh, or the TV show that Mark Wahlberg produced, Entourage? You ever seen Entourage? My sister tried to get me to watch it, but I never have. Okay, there's a guy, Entourage is really loosely based on Mark Wahlberg's experience in Hollywood. So all the characters in Entourage are loosely based on real people in Mark Wahlberg's life. So there's a character in Entourage called Turtle. And Turtle's this kind of chubby guy who's a little bit of a loser. And the only reason he's successful at anything is because he's friends with the main character who's actually, uh, you know... A, a successful um, movie star. Turtle is based on a real person. And this real person is the guy who makes all these crappy movies with Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you want to know how bad these movies are with Bruce Willis. If you've ever seen Entourage, just remember that these movies are being produced and some of them scripted and some of them directed by Turtles. And here's how bad it's gotten in Hollywood. I'm going to say a name. You're going to wonder what the hell it's doing in this diatribe. 
Martin Scorsese. Okay. Martin Scorsese was trying to get a movie made. But he couldn't get the money for the movie. So, Turtle from Entourage, or the guy the character is based on, came on board as a producer and helped get the money for Martin Scorsese to make, I believe it was The Irishman. So, <laughs> this guy is an actual bit player in Hollywood, but he helped Martin Scorsese. He was a producer, because that's what the producers are, right? Producers are the people who go around to businessmen and stuff and get them to invest money in movies. He was a producer for Martin Scorsese to help get his movie made. So, yeah. You gotta it. wonder. <laughs> he's, Life. He's, he's like, that kind of makes him legit in a certain <laughs> way. Which is sad. Does it? That's how I'll know I've made it. Uh, I mean, you can say now, I've made movies with Bruce Willis and I've I've helped Martin Scorsese get a movie. <laughs> He's I almost mean, that's done. Impressive. That's impressive <laughs> to go from being a loser to freaking, you know. I just, I, you, you kind of have to respect the hustle because he works hard and he makes money at his movies. Most of the, you know, money goes to Bruce Willis, but you stick Bruce Willis on the poster and people will watch it. You know, they're successful enough on streaming. They get enough people to watch it on streaming that, uh, that streaming services keep on paying for them and he makes profit. He makes profitable movies and it's enough that he can continue making movies. And there's a lot of studios that, <coughs> excuse me, can't say that anymore. <laughs> They're making crap. I feel like it sounds like I'm like complimenting this guy more than I should be <laughs> or or I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm complimenting him. I'm not. I'm just trying to give him his due. Like he's making a go out of it in Hollywood. And I'm just kind of, you know, befuddled and a little impressed that he's hustling and succeeding like that how do you how do you do that i don't know i i absolutely do not know uh all right uh we've got our first moonlighting reference in chat judd goswick thank you so much we have officially jumped the shark <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to recommend uh, sorry half-heartedly recommend something uh, that 
has caught the attention of everybody else in the household. Uh, Amazon Prime has a Jack Reacher series. They've got eight or nine episodes up right now. And from what I understand, the character is much truer to the character of the books, uh, unlike Tom Cruise. And it's chock full of absolutely brutal violence and killing. So if if you want to see that sort of ultra macho, um, and uh, I saw a couple of scenes without shaky cam, that sort of you know born I born style violence. I heard it's pretty good, and I saw a couple of scenes. I saw a couple of violent scenes. I thought they were all right. So that's that's my half hearted. If you if you want something that's not crap. Give it a try. You might like it. You might not. Unlike, say, whatever the latest Bond is, where you know you're not going to like it. That's all I got in, in my life this week. Uh, I planted some trees, and life is good, except for at work when I, I made a couple of mistakes. And long story short, I've got two barely usable laptops in front of me. I uh, yeah. I sat down and joined the Trollopolis campaign for the first time this week. So that <gasps> was cool. Oh, tell me about it. What'd you do? <laughs> so uh yeah, actually I, I had a huge impact in the first session completely by accident. We were wandering around the wandering off on a road to a dungeon to go do dungeoneering. I thought, cool, we'll do dungeoneering. That's a that's great. And we passed by a group of uh, clerics off to establish a village. This domain level play, right? The domain player of this area was going to go settle a place and set up a little village. And he had a patriarch, an eighth level cleric, and his entourage and a bunch of villagers and soldiers. And we were just wandering by and all the other players were just going to, you know, let them pass and not do anything. And I thought, wait a second, this is an opportunity because we didn't have a cleric in the party. So I went up to the patriarch and I said, hey, you know, we're going to this dungeon and there's evil and it's scourging the land. And, you know, would you, uh, you know, maybe just pass along the word to some people and uh, if there's anybody who... Uh, wants to come and help us smite evil uh, in the church, um, you know, they can come and join us and we'd be more than happy to have them along. My character is a 12 charisma. So in AD&D, that's nothing. You don't get any bonuses for charisma until it's like up to 15. Very, very different from third edition. Um, and so the DM rolled a reaction check um, and he went over the patriarch, the eighth level cleric, and talked to one of his four second level clerics. And then he rolled a reaction check for the second level cleric and he rolled a double zero, which is a hundred. Yes. The absolute best reaction check you can get. And so the second level cleric, the adept, was so excited about this idea of going adventuring and so happy I had asked him. He came running over to the party immediately and just joined us right away. So this party of six first-level adventurers suddenly had a second-level cleric alarm. We didn't need his healing at all that entire adventure because the only two characters who got hurt were instantly killed by poison. <laughs> oh, no. 
but uh, we had a cleric along and, uh, you know, he was actually useful in combat and, uh, you know, it was, it was a fun, it was a fun dungeon jump. We got into the first room, we opened the door, there were, I think, 10 or 12 giant spiders who came boiling out and we lost two party members and they were trying to throw burning oil on the giant spiders and we weren't there was books on a table we had an illusionist along who this had been the lair of an illusionist and he was hoping that those were books of lore so he could get some spells to you know make his spell selection more robust and so he's like no don't set the room on fire so the magic user went to throw flaming oil on the spiders and missed and lit up the body of the dwarf. Um, oh. Who was dead already? So that didn't... He managed to crisp a couple of the spiders, so we went into a fighting retreat outside where we could spread out. We were in a five-foot-wide corridor, and so only one person could fight the spiders, and we were getting eaten one by one, and... So we pulled back outside where I was rear guard, my fighter was, and so was the cleric. And so when we spread out, so the guys with missile weapons could engage with missile and I could finally get up into melee, we smashed them. Uh, and then the cleric ran back inside because he was so excited about adventuring. He wanted to, you know, he saw a couple of spiders and wanted to kill them himself. And our uh, weeb bushy, shot two arrows past them and killed the last two spiders so he wouldn't get poisoned and die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was a it was a fun little adventure. Uh, we got one room into the dungeon before having to retreat. Uh, and then on our way back, we ran into a huge crowd of trollops. Uh, and we led them back to the patron level city that we had started from because we could get paid for emancipating uh, slaves. And also that city was uh, had 200 dervishes who are all male. Uh, and we could get a finder's fee for bringing in women to settle the area to provide wives for... Uh, wives for the dervishes so the you never let a good trollop go to waste no so say. the uh uh the cleric didn't wasn't all keen on taking that money but i told him hey you know obviously you're going to get the fees from conducting weddings here uh and he was going to run back to the patriarch but uh, i told him you know you're doing good work you're killing evil you're providing wives for men who desperately need it. And you're, you know, setting them up in a, setting these trollops up in a, in a, in a stable family environment. And so he was like, yes, yes. So he's going to continue adventuring with this. Uh, and I'll be honest as a player, my thinking was, uh, my character is a good Catholic boy, but as a player, I'm thinking, you know what? First level AD&D characters die <laughs> so quickly. So, so quickly. And uh, if my fighter uh, got killed, at least I could play the cleric. Uh, 
So that was my thought. I've been I've been investing time in, in... fastest way to level two I've ever heard of. Absolutely brilliant. <clears throat> well, I could I could spend a lot of time and money training. Or now, hear me out, guys. <laughs> We're gonna recruit a level two character, and then I'm gonna mysteriously die, and and I'll just have to play the level two character. Um. I, I from the treasure for we got for returning the trollops, I'm almost second level. Almost, I'm like uh, 250 XP away from second level. Uh, awesome. But uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. We were the cause of Gnomeville creating a new city ordinance. <laughs> so <laughs> they now have laws explicitly to forbid us from doing what we did <laughs> um and uh yeah so it was a it was a it was a fun session um and i'm looking forward to next week awesome <laughs> that sounds great uh so this is this is just a normal twenty-five minute uh, introduction, uh, typical of our our geek cab things. Thanks for being so patient, Mr. David West. It's it is good to have you back. Well, I wanted you to be able to tell your story and get in there, and didn't want to interrupt the the Trollopolis Trollops. Are you familiar with the the Trollopolis saga? I'm not. Well, I'll explain it to you because now you serve as a perfect audience surrogate for anybody listening who uh, is not familiar. Uh, it's a Advanced Dungeons and Dragons game originally run by uh, Jeffro Johnson on Twitter. Uh, he's the guy who writes, who wrote the Appendix N blog and right, book. Right, right. Uh, uh, so, the, him and the other DM, which who uh, I'm guessing was the game master in this game. Uh, who plays Fluid the Druid, uh, these guys had a dream, and they're like, hey, what if we just played first edition by the book? What what would that look like? Because I've never seen it. Nobody, I don't, As far as I know, nobody's ever played it since Gary Gygax wrote it. Mm -hmm. um, they discovered a lot of things about the game that were really fascinating, uh, but for the Trollopolis saga really blew up on Twitter because uh, there's a lot of players who are active on Twitter and the nature of the game, Daddy Warpig mentioned patron players. There are actually people who aren't playing session to session, but they're playing powerful movers and shakers in the world because the DM, Jeffro, uh, at first was, you know, had a whole roster of, you know, big important people and cities and things. And he said, well, here, why don't here's all the stats for this kingdom and here's here here's the leader's motivations and, and resources uh, what do you think you'll do in the next week or two right and so it, it turned from a game that sort of had a weekly session with some downtime activity to a always on non-stop real-time game uh, and they did it all basically through twitter dms and emails uh, and they were doing things like other patron players were just playing without the DM. They were just they were meeting up and talking and, and planning strategy and, and plotting against each other. So that's the milieu 
under which uh, in which Daddy Warpig was thrust. And uh, so, yeah, when when he said, oh, we sent a message to this guy, not only did he recruit the cleric, but I'm sure that the player who controlled that army of clerics was notified, oh, by the way, you lost one cleric, but you got this message, right? Hmm. Uh, it's hilarious. It's fascinating. If you're still on Twitter, I'm off Twitter. I'm, I'm done with that noise. But if you're on Twitter... Um, follow hashtag BroSR or hashtag Trollopolis or just okay. find Jeffrey. I, I've seen that, but I, I didn't realize what it was. Uh, the BroSR is is a community that that formed around that idea because, and I'm not I'm not doing it justice because that'll take another twenty minutes. But the things they discovered about that game, they found an extremely fun and satisfying game. Uh, it's a great way to play and. Uh, so they're just having fun spreading the word on Twitter. It's uh, it's oddly satisfying to read as someone who's been playing RPGs since the '90s. Cool. Yeah, I'd seen that, but I wasn't I wasn't aware that it was this ongoing online game. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. I played a patron for a couple of months. Uh, I I stopped playing when I uh, when I get distracted with home life, but uh, it's it's great. It's super fun. Um, that said, I'm I'm not good at the. I I said in the green room. I was like, I'm I'm not introducing nothing today. I'm not introducing nothing. <laughs> uh, you've been on the show before. It's it's good to have you back. Uh, could you tell everybody what you're about? Uh, I'm David J. West. I write weird westerns and sword and sorcery. I have to get the stories in my head out onto paper and share them so that they can get out of my head. It's like, if I don't do something with them, they're going to just keep talking to me. So keep writing, keep putting stuff out there. I attempt to do pulp speed, but I'm probably more like a, a low key half pulp speed <laughs> author. <laughs> um, always pushing out weird Westerns, sword and sorcery, just the stuff that I want to read. That's what I enjoy. And I, I like that there's that Twitter group out there that, likes what I do. You have your own Twitter feed of, of weird West fans. Oh yeah. There's, there's always people out there that are into that. And I, I got a new cover from uh, my artist this weekend and I had to share it. And that, that blew up everywhere because of, it was like, wow, he's outdone himself for uh bury me. Not on the loathsome prairie. Is that what it's called? I, do you have a link? I would love to show this. Uh, I would love to see this cover and show it on stream. Uh, I don't know how to do that on stream. I'm so tech unsaid. Oh, no no big deal. Was it, What was the title of it? Bury Me Not on the Lonesome Prairie. Bury Me Not on the Lonesome Prairie. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search for that. Daddy Warpig's probably already looking for it. Uh, I want to show, uh, I think you're the... the one before that you only hang once is that your latest uh that's the one i'm trying to finish up that's going to be out the end of this month so it's almost done and i've i've pulled back the pre-order a couple of times because i wasn't ready it's been a been a hectic year for me but uh should be out the end of this month and i'm pretty excited for that one it's a very very spaghetti westernish one with just a little bit of weirdness involved it's a lot of fun. I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and find the uh there we go. Find the Amazon thing for anybody watching on, on YouTube. This is uh 
I love this cover. I, I can see if I could try to zoom in on it. Uh, if I, I didn't know you did the Weird West stuff. So when I saw this cover, I was like, oh, is this what David West is up to these days? This is amazing. Yeah, I, I, I tend to do mostly the Weird West under my name and then all the sword and sorceries under James Alderdice because uh, I'm trying to coax the al Amazon algorithms. It's like when you when you have a superstar name, you can write anything. But in the meantime, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not reading fantasy. I'm sticking with this. And other people that are reading fantasy don't want to read anything with cowboys. And I like it all from a pulp aesthetic. So that's why I said, well, I'm going to attempt the pen name. And the pen name worked. So not a secret. I use the same picture everywhere. Same bio. I'll even mm -hmm. say, you know, David... James Alderdice, a.k.a. David J. West, but that's it's just for Amazon's sake because that's where, you know, 95% of my sales are is Amazon. So do that just for marketing. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and you said that it worked. So do you, you have a lot of people that – well, because we we've been talking to a lot of indie authors, and, and this is funny that we're starting here, but we talk about a lot of indie authors, and I've been asking them, okay, so – how, and everybody's got multiple ideas like you do. So what kind of readers do you have? How many readers that are like David West readers versus Alderdice readers versus how many people are in it just for the, the uh, there, there's definitely series? There's definitely some crossover for both because, you know, I feel like, you know, if you like, if you like Robert E. Howard, Robert E. Howard would write Conan and then he'd write weird Westerns. And a lot of people like both of those, but you know, sometimes the, the bigger markets, People like to stick to their genres. So that's why I did it. But there, there's some crossover. But if you look at David West, the the other people that bought other authors is going to be a little bit different than James Alderdice. It'll be a little bit different. And cool. it just it just shows me that there are there's some crossover, but not complete crossover. And it's just a way to diversify while still doing what I like to do. Right. I love what Nick Cole said about write the junk you want to read. And that's what I do. Awesome. All right. So, well, I have to ask about this this series then, the one that you're trying to finish up, uh, because, well, actually, I'm not a Weird West guy. That's Daddy Warpig's uh, wheelhouse there. But uh, I am curious. That's why I mentioned the covers, because the covers make me go, okay, I need to know more about this series. So tell me about the Dark Trail saga. Like, what are you working Okay, on? it's all it's – all fictitious stuff based on Porter Rockwell. Porter Rockwell a, was a real guy, Mormon local hero, who's a local hero because he was told that if he never cut his hair, no bullet or blade could touch him. So we've got a Superman thing going on with a guy who can't be shot or stabbed, and yet he's always, you know, he's a lawman, he's a tracker, going after outlaws constantly in the mountains. You know, he lived a very dangerous life, and yet never got shot, never got stabbed. And I have so much fun trying to come up with stories and figuring out what was his kryptonite here. <laughs> awesome. how, how, how does he get into danger if he can't get shot or stabbed in the old West dealing with bandits and everything else? So I have a lot of fun with that. And I try to use a lot of real historical stuff. And then I just play with the, what if, you know, there's a skinwalker here, there's the bear Lake monster, there's, these terrible bandits. And I, I, I love the old spaghetti Westerns. And so it's got a very good, the bad and the ugly vibe to it where I play a little fast and loose with 
speed and distance sometimes, but have a lot of fun just throwing out danger and having colorful characters. It's a, it's a lot of fun to have those weird gunfighter elements and monsters, local, local legends. I love local legends and just finding out, well, people say that there was a water babies here that would drown people. If you got too close, you know, <laughs> I, I love playing with that. In fact, I, I have a friend that uh, just released a book for uh beehive state monsters. And he asked me to do the, the forward and I had a lot of fun with that. And when I read the book, I'm like, Oh man, he's got some new stories. I hadn't heard yet about a serpent temple in the Henry mountains. That's coming up. <laughs> and that's, that's what inspired um, me to start doing my outlines for bury me not on the lonesome prairie as uh, the, some not used too much Cthulian elder God, Yig snake God that I'm going to use for that one. Since it's supposed to be a serpent temple. In the Henry Mountains. I don't know if Daddy Warpig knows where the Henry Mountains are or not. Down towards Hanksville and stuff. Well, I'd, I'd like to know myself. I I only, I did live in Utah for uh, maybe nine years. Uh, enough to get involved with this character over here, Daddy Warpig. But I, I never knew anything about sort of the legends or or much of the history. So... Uh, what sort of what sort of local monsters and legends live in Utah mythology? Oh, there's definitely the Bigfoot. People are seeing Bigfoot all over in the mountains every now and again. There was an interesting sighting up Provo Canyon just uh, day after New Year's a couple years ago, and we've got a handful of lake monsters, dogmen, skinwalkers. I'm especially entranced by skinwalkers. I've never seen one, but I've heard so many stories that makes me think there's something to that, you know, like a, a big wolf ran in front of the road in front of my wife's car when she was down in the desert. And it's like it ran right in front of her like it like it wanted to almost get hit. You know, it could have waited with nobody else on the road, but ran right in front of her just so she'd see it and freak out. <laughs> oh, boy. And then whenever I can convince one of my Indian friends to tell me skinwalker stories, they've always got one. Always got one. It's it's amazing. And there's always some creepy things like little people. There's always more lost ruins. I love finding out about that stuff. That's the cover. Yeah, that blew me away. I love that cover. Found it. I'm like, Carter, Carter Reed, you have outdone yourself. Yeah, huge cloud that looks like a serpent. It's very ominous. Yeah. And, and the nice thing about it for a horror novel is it's daylight. It's not even night. <laughs> we got the ominous, horrible thing in broad daylight. I love mm -hmm. that. Well, yeah, you but you can't paint a desert traveler scene without the sun on the red rocks of Utah. Yeah, so I had to go with that. And I'm I'm like, oh, wow, I got to live up to this cover. But I'm hoping to get that out in a few more months. I, I got to jump in, Emmett Fitzhume. Been a fan of the Weird West since High Plains Drifter. Yes, that's actually my favorite of them. Emmett Fitzhume, I love that. <laughs> 80s movies are my jam, so I totally get the Spies Like Us reference. Is that a reference? You're the yeah. first... You're the first one to get that the name is a reference. I had no idea. Yeah, it's Dan Aykroyd's character. 
but yeah, High, High Plains Drifter, my favorite of the Clint Eastwood movies. Yeah, I dig those. There's there's so many good ones, and uh, I like to bring that flavor to my to my westerns. The stoic, um, not quite a man with no name, but almost, you know, comes to town, sets things to right, a little bit grittier than maybe he needs to, but still gets it done. Sure. It's it's a classic formula. I I love a good western. They don't really make them much anymore. I'm talking about like movies specifically. Oh, they don't. Everything's like you were talking earlier. It's everything's a retread, and it's because they don't have the desire to do something original and crazy anymore. So it's like they got to keep. Let's just let's just put the, the the cart before the horse and say that we're doing this right. Well, it's I'm, not. I'm gonna... It's not creating anything that people really are going. Wow! Can you believe they did this? Unless it's the special effects. Well, I'm I'm going to put you on the spot then because uh, I I'm not too familiar with with some of the tropes that you're playing with. What what makes your Weird West interesting? What makes it superior to whatever retreaded direct they're coming out with? I, I just like to think that I'm still finding surprises. I'm going where the muse takes me sometimes. And sometimes that's going to surprise you where, how did that happen? That person just up and died. This person is going to get hung. This person turns out to be a traitor. You know, I, I love the formula where there's still going to be some way out of left field surprises, but we're sticking with some of the basic tropes in the genre of the old west the hero comes to town you got your villains and i think sometimes when you go paint by the numbers too much you people know exactly what's going to happen and it's a fine line to give people what they want and yet still surprise them with something a little bit new it's a fine line it's hard to describe but that's why I don't have any faith in Hollywood anymore. They're not doing that. And I think fiction writers where we're writing the books, we've got a little bit more leeway to, to come up with something different, to come up with something new. And sorry, I have to get power. I realize my phone's about to die, but I got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got a little bit more leeway with a book to, to try some tangents to be experimental. I have definitely tried to be experimental in my writing to go, hey, let's let's try this story. And that's the thing I love about indie publishing is I have the ability to to go out on a limb and try a couple experiments and see if they fly or not. And if they do, great. Keep working at it. Um, uh, a lot of my fantasy stuff that's under the pen name, I would still label it with some of the Western tropes. Cause that's what I did with the first one brutal that I think I talked about here when I was on last time, it's very Western ish. Cause I wanted to do a sword and sorcery, yo Jimbo slash fistful of dollars. Mm -hmm. And that has the man with no name coming to town. And, you know, at the end I reveal the name and cause eventually, you know, somebody's going to know a name. So the series, you learn the guy's name, but I like having that very Western, archetype of the hero coming and doing things that are out of bounds for the local populace, the local kings and raiders and what have you. It's got to be fun. You got to have a monster. Conan really appeals to me. Hellboy, 
outlaw Josie Wales, all of those types of characters to me are so much fun that I have to keep revisiting them, even if it's, you know, with different masks and names. So what's worked best for you? Uh, it's almost, like it's almost going 50, 50 right now. And so that's kind of fun doing weird Westerns and sword and sorcery. <laughs> well, I mean the, I don't, I don't think there's any, at least my perception is that there's a massive audience for sword and sorcery. Yeah, it's been growing for sure. It's been growing, and there's there's so many new people out there put writing it, publishing it. It's great. I'm, you know, I've caught your last couple episodes talking with uh, Dave Martell from Bizarre Archives and things, and it's people are hungry for just a good, entertaining story. Don't want to get preached at. Don't want to get told what the fifty most worthy fantasy novels are that are drek. Just want to have fun. Oh, yeah, thanks for bringing up the Biz Archives. Do you ever do any short fiction or anything? Uh, I've done a lot of short fiction. So that's if you're looking at my author pages, a lot of those might just be novellas or short stories. So it's just it's just a medium that I like. It's like novels sell better, but I still enjoy shorts so much that I, I still like writing them, putting them out there and giving them to outfits like Story Hack and things. I'm just going to stare at this cover for a second. Is it yeah, mesmerizing? <laughs> it is. Yeah, the, I mean, it's the, the serpent's eyes. They, I, I think if you looked at my eyes right now, they'd be little spirals. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't want people to think that, you know, I, I'm dissing the cover. It's an awesome cover. I am absolutely, uh think it's great. Um, it's just spectacular. I love it. <laughs> Well, I was I, I contracted him because sometimes you have to plan these things out in advance. And the original thing was he was going to have this Cthulian looking face facing down at the cowboy above the town. And I said, you know what? Uh, for this one, I think I'm going to use Yig. So can you make it serpent like instead? And he's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Great. And I'm so happy with it. I mean. The thing that really struck me that I really liked about it is it looks like a rattlesnake. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, without knowing anything about the book, because I didn't know anything about the book, I thought a monster western with a rattlesnake head floating in the sky above a town. I'm like, that that's just sold right there. That's money, baby. That is just awesome. You know, yeah, because the rattlesnake is so such an American icon, so it just sticks with yeah. the, the Western theme. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, sold all over that. So yeah, I was applauding that cover from the moment I saw it. I'm like, giant rattlesnake monster over a city. Yeah, that that's the <laughs> West right there, right there. Yeah, like, so I'm already stacking cash up just seeing that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a Western thing. It's not just, you know, and so many people, and I don't mean this, you know, this is not a comment on you or your stories. It's so many people who are doing, you know, neo-Cthulhu things, they don't understand. And I don't think we can understand as a society anymore exactly what horror was about pre 1950 uh or pre 1960 
because we live in the world that horror was horrified of. Mm -hmm. Our society is what they were horrified of. Because horror is about what is unnatural. It's about breaking the laws of nature and God. Right? Uh, and it isn't just about, oh yeah, it's man's insignificance in the cosmos. I'm like, no, that's, yes, 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 yes. That's part of Lovecraft. But that's not all of Lovecraft. And this is, these are new thoughts for me. These are the thoughts that are started coming because of the interview you mentioned with um, uh, the Bizarre Archives gentleman who mm -hmm. came on. Uh, it is violations of what is good and natural and right. So it isn't just violating natural laws. Uh, it is about uh, living in a place where the rules no longer apply. Uh, and we live in a society where all the rules have been torn down. In our lifetime. <laughs> yeah. All the rules have been swept away. And new and crazy rules are being rewritten every week. We live in the, you know, time of chaos. We have descended into, uh, and I'm trying to think of the term that uh, uh, Joseph W. Campbell uses in the hero's journey. Uh, you know, we've descended into the uh, underground. We've descended into the into the dungeon, into the chaos, into the darkness at night, and there are no rules. We are currently living through the times that used to be horror, right? Mm -hmm. When uh, Carmilla, which is the original vampire novel, yeah. was about uh, a um, was about a vampire woman seducing another woman, and the reason why that was horrifying was because that was a violation of moral law and a violation of natural law. And these were, you know, strong, high, you know, walls. They weren't, and, and nowadays that is such a common thing that there's no concept of that being a natural law. Um, and so when people put Cthulhu on books, it's just kind of this generic thing, and it's very, very rarely scary because they don't even know why it was scary then. Then they don't even understand why Cthulhu was scary, why the cults were scary. And all, far too many are of of the things just aren't even scary anymore. Like, um, like cannibals. They're not scary anymore to people because it gets used and overused. 
why would it it's just so much of it is just copy and paste for the monsters and if mm-hmm. you would put like cthulhu himself just like the picture with tentacles yeah it wouldn't be evocative it would just be another it would just be another book cover like all of these you know uh modern repetitive people who are using cthulhu without understanding it like lovecraft country or um you know on and on and on well that was one thing i i haven't even read it or watched the show because i was like oh you're gonna be subversive and subvert expectations yeah yeah sure you are so i i'm dubious at that claim on from the the bigger commercial side which is why I lean more indie because that's the people that are innovating. But, but, but putting a, you know, putting a rattlesnake on the cover is perfect for the West and it's also different. Yeah. It's not repetitive it's not an image we've seen a thousand times before um transgressive i'm sorry i hate that word because i hate the concept it's it's the concept and how the context and how it always gets used these days yeah but but horror has to is about the notion that there is something out there which is pushing inviolate boundaries and breaking through them in ways that are just not right, in ways that are um, in ways that are appalling, in ways that are it's not just about fear. And I feel like we've lost that as again, we've come through the 1960s in which all of the rules that used to be inviolate have been thrown down and burned when all the law books have been burned and all the laws have been overthrown uh and you're born in you know the aftermath of that apocalypse how do you find violating the law scary it's outside your door yeah and it's it's even come to the conclusion in in popular culture they're talking about they they invented the d-wave computer i'm forgetting his name he's calling it an altar to the old one gods how they'll they'll be able to commune with them and it's like what (laughs) really you're saying that this is gonna let you talk to cthulhu now (laughs) i think that's gonna go well but it's it's in the norm um so yeah this is uh uh it's it is refreshing because it's it's fresh and it's different um and it shows that uh that you can do cthulhu entities right if you take time instead of just blindly slapping them onto something you think through how they're going to be used and where they're going to be used and 
again, another word I, I hate because it's postmodern, but it, it makes perfect sense in this context. Recontextualize them. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but Yelith. Um, but take that serpent and it's in the Old West. So, of course, it's going to be an Old Western icon, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to use entities and stuff, use one that can fit in the Old West and put them in a in a kind of flavor so it'll fit there. Yeah. Of just, you know instead of just throwing them in, um, you know, you can use the hounds of Tindalos um, or something similar that you come up with, but change them enough so that they fit into your specific story, the way that you're going to use them. Mm -hmm. It's not about being doctrinaire. See, the, the entire point of Yogg-Sotha III was that every there was no canon. There was no Bible. There was no um, list of rules that you were supposed to follow. Everyone just borrowed bits and pieces that they liked, and it was all different from author to author and story to story. H.P. Lovecraft was not trying to build a shared universe. He was not trying to build a continuity. He was just writing cool stuff, story to story, and he didn't, he wasn't trying to make sure each story fit together. Right. And so when Robert E. Howard borrowed stuff for, for a Conan story that was what we would call Cthulhu-esque nowadays or Lovecraftian, um, he just did his own thing. And it kind of fit with the mythos, but but there wasn't a mythos. The entire notion of a mythos is alien and wrong to Cthulhu. So if you're going to borrow stuff from Cthulhu, don't worry about it being doctrinaire. Don't worry about it fitting. Do it so that it makes sense in your story and it echoes with it. Uh, change it so that it fits with your story. Uh, and the only defense for it is that you do it right. That you do something good. Mm -hmm. That's the mission. <laughs> In a nutshell. Uh, forgive me, my allergies just blew up. It's almost that time. But, yeah, I you, you hit on a really good point, just as far as the cover goes. I'm not going to go deeper into the surface because you went deep enough. Well, but, I know you yeah. don't read enough, John. <laughs> oh wow <laughs> all right get get your shots in guys uh it's the yeah the rattlesnake it as part of the image is uh genius for all the reasons daddy Warpig went over i i love your little uh tirade is the first word that comes to mind but that's not what i mean i love all your little uh Spots. We call them rants. <laughs> rants on things like that. I love those. That's what they're here for. Oh, speaking of short fiction, uh, you got a fan in the chat. Paul says he loves your story in Pulp Rock. Yep, that just came out. It was a lot of fun to get 
to be a part of that. That was a good little collection. No, we haven't we haven't talked about that. What what is pulp rock? Pulp rock was uh, put together by Alexander Helene, if I'm pronouncing that right, and he had the idea of all these all of us pulp writers that are inspired by rock to give him a story for the the anthology. And uh, with mine, I decided I'd do a, a Porter story, and I had to have it music themed, and I just wanted to run it out there. But we've got uh, there's like eight of us out there: J.D. Cowan, John De La Rose, um. I'm forgetting everybody, but uh, Ryan uh, has uh, one with a, I think, a orcish <laughs> bard. <laughs> He's got the big green face on the cover. Um, and it's it's an amazing collection that just came out. And I'm excited to be a part of it because I love that we're still getting these cool anthologies coming out every now and again by people who just love to do that. You know, and I, I've been thinking I need to put together an anthology one of these days of stuff that I love because these other ones that my friends are doing are just great. What a cool idea. I... Sorry uh... for the gap. But I appreciate that, Paul. Thank you very much. I think uh, just to tack on one last thing. When I suggested adapting the mythos to specific cultures, H.P. Lovecraft did that himself. He wanted an Egyptian-themed story, so he came up with Nyarlathotep, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not like he invented an entire huge Egyptian uh, pantheon for, for the mythos. He just had Nyarlathotep. Um, so you don't have to write what you need for your story, adapt it for your story, you know, adapt the themes and, and think, think it through. Uh, and uh, you don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about going nuts and inventing more than you need for this specific novel or this specific story or whatever, because you will be doing exactly what H.P. Lovecraft did. For sure. I, I, I enjoyed reading those stories and thought, Oh, how do I want to do these myself? And, you know, I love the, the side ones that are, you know, adjacent, like the Robert E. Howard ones, Frank Belknap longs and Robert blocks that are all adjacent and don't have to adhere to some Bible. They just loosely fit in there. And that's what I like to do. All right. Forgive me, guys. I'm running out of questions because we're running low on time. Uh, but I love catching up with you and what you've been doing. Uh, David West, it's great to have you back. Uh, we have to have you again. But before we wrap this whole thing up, what else do you want to talk about? Any other questions or books or anything you want to bring up? Did uh, we mention the sale? Yeah, I'm doing a big uh, sword and sorcery sale on the Brutal series. So it's like books one, two, and the last one that's out so far, nine, are all marked down to 99 cents just because I'm trying to do a big promotion this weekend, seeing how it goes with first, second, and last. 
<laughs> I think I learned about trying to see what happens with selling the last from Brian Niemeyer. I'm like, that's a good idea. I'm going to try that. <laughs> let me, uh, yeah, let me share that screen if I could for everybody hanging out on YouTube. So uh, once again, you're not just doing Wild West stuff. That's the stuff that you're working on right now. But you can also get brutal sword and sorcery stuff. And all that's on sale right now. Yep, I, I love it. I, I love it when people have so many different interests. They're all just rolling at the same time. Oh yeah, it's it's a hodgepodge, and it's like got to focus on this one, then got to got to go focus on that one. Back and forth, back and forth, and it helps keep things fresh. All right, and and your homework is uh, your and everybody else's homework is to, to check out Brosr Interlopolis on Twitter. Absolutely. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Um, Daddy Warpig, any last questions or or anything before we wrap up? Uh, no, the, there is a session report on the Trilopolis session on Jeffro's blog. Uh, and uh, I popped in a, a comment that added uh, some more specific details to it. So uh, underneath it uh, to fill in some of the gaps. So uh, that's all on Twitter. Uh, if you follow Jeffro, um, cool. I mean, the link to it and everything's on Twitter. Um, I don't know. Sounds good. I just like, I just like, I think, uh, I love the horror genre. I think the horror genre is, uh, dealing with the unnatural and the macabre and the, uh, all of that stuff. Horror is not just about keeping people scared all the time. And I'm not sure where that meme came from, but it that's not all that it's about. And I'm not sure that's even the chief aspect of horror. And somehow, I think maybe that because we lost what everything else in horror was about during the 60s that that's what we came to just think of it because that's all we had left of horror and like the pulp revolution is doing a it's doing for uh science fiction and fantasy i would really like to someday see uh or be involved with um something to revitalize horror to you know, bring back some of those other things that that horror can do or is supposed to do besides just scaring people. Um, well, I've heard it called the most moral of the genres, and I, I found that really interesting. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, I've seen horror, there are people writing horror today who are trying to substitute modern morality for um, for classic morality and make horror out of that. And it just doesn't work because it's too abstract and intellectualized. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, when your moral code is environmentalism, I'm sorry, uh, trying to make horror out of people who aren't building enough renewable energy sources that just isn't going to touch people. <laughs> it's scary. 
primally the way uh, horror used to. Right. Um, and, and this is all new thinking for me, and maybe I should have kept my mouth shut until... No, I love better. the rants. I love the rants. <laughs> hey, a a half-baked half rant is better than no rant at all. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think horror deserves to be respected more than it is. Um, and I think it deserves to be enjoyed more than it is, because horror is just another form of adventure story. Um, and uh, it deserves to be to be loved and uh, to be revitalized. Um, so there's more to horror than being revolting on one hand. Uh, you know, like a modern horror story I genuinely heard about, uh, they call it extreme horror. It's like, oh, here's a bar where they serve uh, you know, pardon me for bending the family-friendly rating of the show. They serve urine and shark glasses. Real horror story. Ooh, horror story. I'm like, really? That's it? That's the best you can do? Uh, <laughs> How about bathwater? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm like, reality's already left that behind. I mean, come on. That's not horror anyway. That's just revolting. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like when people lost their moral compass, they lost their ability to tell good or great horror because they they don't know anymore a properly formulated moral code is not something artificially imposed on a person. It's something that recognizes at its fundamental core what a person actually is and what is healthy and unhealthy for that person and codifies those things in a conscious way. So we can say these actions damage you emotionally mentally and spiritually and horror is about what happens when there are entities that live in violation of that or when people violate that mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that's the entirety of it but that is at its core a large part of what horror is and so if you don't live a properly um constituted moral code or you've rejected a properly constituted moral code and substituted an artificial one for it a, a moral code that doesn't recognize those things or that inverts those things that says good is evil and evil is good. You can neither understand horror nor can you write horror except 
through blood and guts and monsters, just the most basic, shallowest parts of it. Up to your. Yeah, yeah, when yeah, when the when the ultimate truth is, you know, materialism. When when your body or your life is the worst thing that you can lose, uh, that that makes for pretty shallow horror. Um, so, uh, I think a lot of what we have lost is the ability to tap into eternal moving horror because we have lost contact with uh moral codes that really do describe and i'm talking just broadly as a society not every individual in the society to describe what people are um so yeah i would really love to see a revivified revitalized uh horror genre uh, come out of the pulp rev in addition to, you know, science fiction and, and fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I'm done with my rant for today. <laughs> was that two or three? That was awesome. I liked it. Well, I, I appreciate it. I'm glad we all stuck around for the rant. Oh, that's, that's what makes the show extra special. And I mean that sincerely. Um, uh, once again, I, I totally appreciate having you on, uh, David West. Uh, awesome to hear how you're doing. I'm glad to hear that you're doing well, uh, coming out with more books every year. Um, and Thanks. I really appreciate, uh, I really appreciate the chat. Uh, we had a lively discussion, got a few new fans, I think, uh, in the chat. Uh, love to see you here. I hope mo- see more of you next week or uh, next time we get together. Uh, we're out sure. next week. Um, and uh, I hope everybody listening later really enjoyed the discussion in the rants and uh, takes a closer look at uh, your books. But I am done for this week, Daddy War Pig. Take it away. All right. Uh, again, thanks everyone coming. We've had a quite uh, uh, jump and chat today. Uh, everybody's been uh, busy, busy, busy. So if you uh, didn't catch us live, please come and listen later. Uh, and uh, YouTube.com slash GeekGab. That's YouTube.com slash GeekGab. Uh, and you can uh, at least check out the chat if, if you couldn't come and uh, participate. I know there are fans of the show who live in uh, time zones vastly dispersed from what we would consider, uh, you know, live. So uh, they can't listen live, but uh, we do welcome you to come and watch, uh, read through the chat and listen to the show. Uh, and if you can't, uh, you know, if you want to check out the show on other places, we're available on the Google Play Store, on uh, SoundCloud.com, and on the Apple iTunes Store. Just do a search for Geek Gab. You can uh, subscribe and listen to us on the device of your choice. We are signing out for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret. We will be back.